Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello everyone, welcome again to our penultimate film in the season of the the, uh, the wastelands of the post-apocalypse. Uh, I've forgotten what actual number episode this is, but anyway, it's the ninth <laughs> film, I can tell you that much. Yes, and, it is the ninth uh, film. Yeah, so I am Adrian Smith and I am joined as ever by Rod Barnett. Hello Rod. Hello Adrian. How's, how are things for you over there? in america land they're fine they're complicated uh <laughs> i'm attempting to buy a house and it's as complicated oh, and, wow. and time consuming yeah. and brain bending and and uh eye poking as all of these the uh, these types of uh, situations always are mm-hmm. from what i understand so oh. oh now people can start to imagine what would rod's dream house look like yeah well don't worry i'm not getting my dream house no matter what i do i can't afford so, my dream house so yeah i'm thinking cinema in the basement something like that <laughs> oh well, it would be, uh, yes you know uh, uh tiki uh, lounge out on the on the porch oh yeah yeah the, a patio oh, wow. tiki lounge that'd be perfect yeah. that'd be great <laughs> oh yeah well um yes you have my sympathies that is not easy no it's 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 a difficult headache inducing nightmare Oh, good. Well, hey, welcome to the podcast. And <laughs> <laughs> one could almost say, Rod, that oh. this might fill you with rage. Yes, it might. Except that uh, I actually enjoyed this film, so I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I meant buying a house. Was oh, buying a house, rage. definitely. But yeah. a film, a film. Well, I would love to know if it was better known as just Rage or A Man Called Rage. But uh, because I think A Man Called Rage is actually the better title because just Rage, that could be anything. That could be almost yes. any, any story of any type. Yeah. The, uh, the title of this film is something we can definitely um, dig into. Um, but was there, uh, have you got anything before we get to that point, anything you've got coming up? 
Uh, uh, well, just continuing various podcasts and um, got one coming out uh, fairly soon on, oh, well, yes, actually another Italian post-apocalyptic film that uh, we did what? over on the Bloody Pit with a couple of friends of mine. You've been post-apocalypsing with other people. Uh, well, yes, yes, but I, I'll be honest. I didn't realize what I was doing until it was t- until I until it was too late, and then I was right. like, "I'll just have to confess to my cheating ways Ooh, with Adrian." Yeah. I oh, right. What what is that one? Oh, uh, Rats: Night of Terror. Oh, you know, yes. Well, I'm glad you've done that because I've been feeling that maybe we should have done it, and I was it was remiss of me to leave it off the list. So, if you've done it, that's great. We can just. Um, we could just point people in that direction. It's a highly enter- it's highly entertaining. I've always yeah. I've always enjoyed it ever since I first saw it about twenty years ago, and so uh, yeah, mm. yeah. I knew I eventually wanted to see it. Which is not something you can say about all Bruno Mattei films. Uh, no, and I I put maybe I should be putting quotes around enjoy uh, <laughs> yeah. with with any Bruno and, Mattei films. So yeah, and entertaining. <laughs> well, no, that's just it. I do find it very entertaining, but you know, mm. often not. When I find his work entertaining, it's often for reasons that are not intentional. So, right, yes, fair enough. Yes, no, I'm glad you've done that because I, I there have been times with some of the films that we've done, and there was one in particular that was full of rats. I've forgotten which one that was. They all blend into one, <laughs> and that did make yes. me think, oh, maybe we should have done that one. Oh, that's good. Well, so is that episode? coming soon or will it be out by the time people hear this uh no it, it'll be out uh probably in about a week after okay. they hear this episode right good something to look forward to the only thing i wanted to really plug at the moment our um our commentary track that we keep banging on about still hasn't been announced so we can't plug that but i did just have a a large um like I don't know, eight or ten page article published in the magazine The Sensational Sixties, which is a magazine published over here in the UK by Hemlock Books, who do I'm sure many of you have seen Hemlock Books. They do lots of great books. They did the recent one about um about uh AIP called Witches, Bitches and Banshees and yeah. uh, all that. Anyway, so in their latest issue of the Sensational Sixties they it's a spy themed issue um with things on our man flint and harry palmer and matt helm and stuff like that Modesty i love plays. i love those movies yeah but then randomly in the middle is a big article by me on the margariti space films primarily focusing on the gamma one films but i did go out of my way to uh, talk about the other ones as well because he actually made six in the 60s so they're all in there so well, obviously we've talked about some of those on the podcast before um but yeah so that's in print now with lots of pictures and i'm quite pleased with that cool, it gave me cool. a chance to review to revisit and watch pretty much back to back all of the gamma one films again um and also i mean the names already are swimming around in my head the claude <laughs> rains one that he made um oh um Beyond Battle the of the Stars, Worlds. Battle yeah. of the Worlds. I mean, yeah, that's all. Um, and then, of course, Assignment Out of Space as well. So, yeah, I, if you want to read what I had to say about those films, spoiler alert, I said they're good. Um, <laughs> but I go into the history of them all a bit more and the, you know, who the producers were behind them. And, 
all of that so oh and also the connections with the green slime which people often think is part of that series um so i i sort of go into more detail about why there's a connection and mm-hmm. all of that so anyway that is out now if you want to order yourself a copy uh, you can get it directly from hemlock books and i don't know whether it makes it into shops anywhere or goes to distributors overseas i've got no idea but anyway it's nice it's glossy it's colorful and uh there's also some stuff in there about hammer and all kinds of things so there you go nice to be in print talking about margariti again yes yes thank you i would just uh nod my head to you and thank you for doing so yeah it's, it's it's good i'm glad when they asked me to do stuff like that i don't have time I mean, I don't have time for any of this stuff, right? <laughs> but I can't say no. I mean, do you want to write about the Gamma One films? I'm not going to say, oh, I'm really busy. Of course I'm going to say yes. So there it is. Um, right, but to get back to the matter in hand, we are talking about a post-apocalyptic world where a soldier of fortune will enter the forbidden land for a change and, yes. bump, into, and bump into all those other guys who've also entered the forbidden lands probably just over the just over the next hill probably yeah and we've had people going into the forbidden lands looking for water um and we've had them looking for i don't know um a, the, the, the a pregnant woman at one point i'm sure that was one of the films we watched petroleum uh petro- yes um and this time they're looking to find something that you would think is all over the place in a uh, post nuke world you would think. Uh, apparently not. But anyway, so we are, of course, talking about the film Rage. Yeah, so as you mentioned, Rod, uh, we've got Rage, a.k.a. A Man Called Rage, a.k.a. Rush 2. Yes, yes. Uh, A.k.a. Fuoco Incrociato, which actually translates as Crossfire, um, which was, uh, I don't think that was used for any of the, like, no one called it Crossfire, apart from in Italy. Um, so let's just first of all, I mean, we could approach this from a number of angles, but I thought we could mention the fact that in some territories it was known as Rush 2. And this is because the film is starring, I have to say, I'm looking at the names and all that, I didn't know anybody involved in this film at all. It's like a whole new scene of Italian exploitation people I'd never heard of before coming to this movie. Hmm. So the director is Tonino Ricci. 
and our star is a chap called Bruno Minitti, uh, known as Conrad Nichols, which is a good Western-sounding name. And so Bruno Minitti had starred in a film the previous year by the same director called Rush. So I wanted to ask you, Rob, before we dig into their back catalogues a bit more, were you have you seen Rush? Did you know Rush? No, I've been aware of it for years, but I've never seen mm. it. The plot description, from what I can tell from the uh, from the book that we're using, when the world ends, it sounds like a post-apocalypse version of Rambo. Really? Basically, yeah. Sounds like, and the poster even looks makes him look quite a lot like Rambo. If you look at imagery for Rush. <laughs> Well, yeah, okay, okay. So when they made, um, and the character's name was Rush. So you can see why in this film they just called him Rage. But then in some of the dubbed versions of this movie, particularly in Germany, they just dubbed his name as Rush again and made this a direct sequel. Very smart of them. That's a, yeah. that's a, that's a wise marketing move almost every time. Yeah. So that's why in some places this is known as Rush 2. But... Uh, yeah, also, like we said, a man called Rage, or just Rage. Well, just out and of curiosity, apparently he's he's generally better known for a film called Night of the Sharks from 1988, but I've never seen that either. Um, who, who are we talking about, Bruno Minitti? Or oh, no, no, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, it's kind of a... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm talking about the director, because here's the, here's the thing you'll notice. Okay. Here's mm. the thing you'll notice is that this particular actor... Uh, uh, primarily turns up in the 80s in movies by the director of this film. Yes, uh, yeah, he's repeatedly. in a bunch, isn't he? Yeah, okay, so let's take a sideways step and look at Tonino Ricci, a director I had never heard of, um, and I now want to watch all of his films because they've got <laughs> such great names. Uh, the Great Chihuahua Treasure Hunt, I mean, who doesn't want to watch that? Oh, everybody. Everybody Amazing. wants to see that. How could you stop um, yourself? He made another shark film in the 70s called The Shark's Cave. I mean, I'm surprised, Rod, that you've never seen Night of the Sharks. That sounds right up your street. It, it really does, and clearly it's just not crossed in my, it crossed my path. Uh, I will yeah. say this. Uh, besides now having seen A Man Called Rage, the only other film of his that I can definitely assure you that I have seen is uh, one you would probably expect, Thor the Conqueror from 1983. Ah. Yes, also starring our man here. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the that's the thing I, I I immediately noticed is like okay they were joined at the hip there for a period yeah. in the eighties, and Thor the <laughs> Conqueror I've seen now I remember kind of enjoying it I don't remember if I enjoyed it you know because it was actually good or if I enjoyed it because of uh, the, its its flaws being exactly the kind of flaws that I expect from a film of this type but. Uh, those are the only two. Now that I've seen this one, Thor the Conqueror mm. is the only other one I've seen. Okay. And I have to say, I could understand someone enjoying, just from these two, enjoying this director's work enough to to really want to dig in and just have yeah. fun. I mean, he made uh, he made um, you know an Indiana Jones type film called Raiders of the Magic Ivory, mm -hmm. which I obviously now really want to see. Um, he did another film after Rage again with our man Bruno, like a war film called Days of Fire or Days of Hell. Um, yeah, he was you know, like so many of the directors we've looked at. He's just working in whatever genre 
was making money at the time. He's done westerns. Um, he's done kind of gangster type films. Um, he's done erotic films. There's one. There's one that the plot summary is just sends shivers down my spine. I've, I've mentioned this before when we talked ages ago about Italian sex comedies, and I mentioned how one of the recurring themes was incest in a lot of these films. Yes. So in 1977, Tonino Ricci made a film called Passion. And the plot summary just says here, despite the fact that their relationship is not good at all, Marina agrees to tend one of the orgies that her brother Alberto is very fond of. <laughs> and I, the one person you wouldn't want to go to an orgy with is your sister, right? I mean, you maybe drive there together, but yeah. I, I, you know... I don't know that. Yeah, yeah. It sounds 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 like it would be. Yeah, I think the word awkward that you chose there is yeah. probably accurate. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he was just making you know whatever, um, and he did work on. Um, he was also second unit and did things like White Fang for Lucio Fulci, um, Super Argo, which is a film one of the Super Argo films. We're going to talk about Super Argo in our next big season. He worked on um, Peplum films as well, and yeah, he did some assistant. He, he did some assistant director stuff in the sixties. Yeah, that's how he apparently how he cut his teeth and got himself into the director's chair eventually. I yeah, mean, apparently he was even an assistant director on Baba's Eric the Conqueror. So, so an experienced guy who just worked with whatever he was given, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I um, I would like to try and check out more of his films now that I'm aware. Well, of I, like I say, I've I've seen a lot of mention of Night of the Sharks as being right. something that okay. uh, he's he's kind of known for. Apparently, that's one of his better movies, and so I'm 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 Great. curious about it. Even though um, I mean, it's got Treat Williams and Antonio Fargas in it, so exactly, and that's enough oh. right there to probably oh, John, bump it up. And John Steiner. And Christopher Connolly, don't don't uh, yeah, Christopher Connolly oh, as well, who we've we've seen multiple seen times this. in this show. Yes, of course. Well, if you're listening and you've seen Night of the Sharks, do um, little send us a little review, tell us what you think of it. So yes, yeah, so Tina Ritchie, a director who I've now got some homework to do. Um, I mean, let's just talk about our star again. None of this cast um, I was I was familiar with. So um, this is an Italian-Spanish co-production, mm-hmm. um, meaning primarily Italian film crew shooting in Almeria, um, yep, which again yep. we've 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 been there before with, with some of these other films. So the cast as well are a mixture, primarily Italian and Spanish, and one of the co-stars is Austrian. But um, Bruno Minitti, he's got the look, hasn't he? Like for yes. A, an action hero in an early 80s film he's got it down like if you asked if you asked um if you asked ai to generate a, a picture of an 80s action hero it, this is who you'd get pretty much i mean it's it's a cross between uh clint eastwood kurt russell and any any random i mean maybe yeah. a little sylvester stallone thrown in there yeah. maybe but yeah 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 pretty much yeah he's got these um you know sort of high neck i don't even know what you call that sleeveless shirt oh yeah yeah it's quite an interesting look and he's so ch- his face is so chiseled and his hair is so perfect that's what i really love about this film like in the future 
there may not be um, law and order, but there will be hairspray and lip gloss. There will be permanence, for, that's for sure. I mean, the, the women have got perfect makeup. This guy is styled within an inch of his life. Oh, it's just well, so good. Okay, let, let, let's I, quick quick sidebar. There mm. comes a point where the attractive female co-star, uh, who we we've seen in the movie for a little while at this point, then gets herself kitted up to go out on this <laughs> on, on this uh, very dangerous uh-huh. very dangerous uh, mission they're going to go on, yeah. and somewhere she managed to find a halter top and hot and and the shortest short that's, shorts in the history yeah. of time. That's the standard military issue. Like they're all wearing. Uh, well, okay, we're getting wait. Yes, yeah, yeah. But, sorry, sorry. The cost. Yeah. Well, so this film, I still want to talk about this guy, but yeah, the film. It feels like one of those where they said, "Okay, we've got access to this set of an abandoned street. Yes, we've got this many vehicles, two motorbikes, we've got a bunch of army surplus clothes in a shed. What can you make?" <laughs> That's kind of what they've done, I think. Yes. They've written the. It feels like a script written around what they had available. But yeah, so the guys are all wearing sort of mismatched army surplus gear, primarily looking like they've borrowed it from a World War Two movie that was just filming down the road. Um, Probably, and, yes. But then, yeah. But then the female, like they're um, when they have to put on their special uh, nuclear radiation protection suits, they're basically just like little plastic ponchos. I know, <laughs> just but, to just to keep the dust off of them, I yeah. assume. But then, yeah, when she's going out on this dangerous mission into the Forbidden Lands, she's wearing hot pants. Uh, it's brilliant. I know. So, um, it's, it's, yes. it's so crazy. It, it, well, as far as the cast is concerned, because there's a lot to say about this cast. Mm. The the, the I'm, I'm not sure which which actor you'd like to talk about next, but I think we we would be remiss if we did not speak about uh, St- uh, Stelio Candeli. Uh-huh. The actor who plays Slash. Yes. Well, okay. Well, okay. Let's go in that order. So we'll start with Bruno, then we'll go to his um, yeah. friend slash enemy or frenemy. Frenemy. I suppose. The, the um, frenemy is exactly what I wrote down. <laughs> yeah. All right. And then yeah, then we'll talk about the two supporting cast, including the uh, hot pants. Um, <laughs> so Bruno again. So I all these people never heard of any of them. Bruno Minitti. Um. Has, yeah, like you said, mostly seems to have been in the films as his alter ego, Conrad Nichols, mm-hmm. um, for the same director uh, for a good few years. But he was also, again, he did a few sex comedies in the 70s, um, which I don't know, given the look that he has, I'm sort of intrigued by. Um, one film, of course, that immediately caught my eye is called The Porno Killers. Oh, caught my if, eye as well from 1980. That's yes, quite an intriguing one. I don't know if there's ever if there's a version of that out there anywhere, but uh, there are reviews of it, so people must have seen it. And it sounds like a sort of sleazy Jallo, late Jallo type thing about uh, hit women who have to go and get some money from an international drugs deal. I don't know. It sounds pretty funny, but he's in it. Sounds like fun so. to me. Yeah, it's quite an amusing. Uh, premise. So yeah, I mean, was have you seen anything else that this guy's been in apart from Thor? 
only Thor, uh, and uh, that, like I say, that stands out simply because mm-hmm. of the name of the, the name of the film and the character, and my obsessive, stupid love of barbarian movies from the nineteen eighties. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's like we've suddenly discovered a whole new... It's like we've, we've been in a gold mine all this time that was running dry. <laughs> and then right towards the end, we've suddenly hit a new scene of all these new people and things. Um, yeah, so Stelio Candeli playing Slash, but not that Slash, a different Slash. Yes, yes. Um, he is quite an accomplished actor who has been in a lot of quite recognizable things i knew yes. him from demons which he yes. did a couple of years after this but also hercules which obviously we've talked about before uh um, he what he what he actually he was actually in his younger years in planet of the vampires for, for mario baba and last oh, of the vikings which baba had something to do with as well so yeah oh right okay yeah so it, he's one he's one of the astronauts mm-hmm uh-huh Oh, there we go. I'd forgotten that. Yes. And uh, Westerns, he did a few of those. Quite a few. Sartana and Trinity and a whole bunch. Um, yeah, were there any other films of his that, or was there anything you wanted to mention specifically? Well, about I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of a, uh, an admittedly bad but very fun movie called Yeti, Giant of the 20th Century. And he has, <laughs> he has a part in that as well. Uh, uh, also, uh, he plays Dr. William in uh, Nude for Satan from 1974, which I think needs to be uh, mentioned just so that I can say the title. And then uh, he was also in The Killer Wore Gloves, which is not a bad little film, worth your time probably. And okay. um, if I was going to single out any of his uh, uh Spaghetti westerns, uh, at least any of the movies that he was he had a, he had a small part in, I would single out Apocalypse Joe, uh, oh, okay, which is a pretty interesting uh, Anthony Steffen film uh, from 1970. Uh, interesting movie worth worth seeing at least once, especially if you're a uh, a spaghetti western fan. Right, awesome. Yeah, and he did a few of the. Uh, he's also in Night of the Sharks, of course, um, and he did a few of these. Uh, sort of post-Vietnam action movies like um, Days of Fire and he's in another one called Messenger of Death and, mm-hmm. yeah just like a, again a working actor who kept going uh, I mean the IMDB doesn't say he's dead so maybe he's just retired I don't know but yeah my understanding going. is my understanding is that he's just been retired he, he's he uh, he did do something in two thousand five for uh, mm. for a TV movie, but yeah, I I, I don't have any information about him yeah. having passed. Yeah, so. and he's got uh, he's good in this film. He's got a good look. Uh, I like his character. Um, he's quite. There's some interesting scenes that we'll get to. And, and, and here's the thing. Slash. I mean, he is in a way kind of uh, at least in the latter half of the film, he's kind of the villain of the story. Yeah, and, and I. In, in in films of this type, you you usually have people going a little over the top being the villain, but he's he's not he doesn't do that. He plays it much more uh, realistically and naturalistically. I mean, yeah, he's definitely mm. the villain and he's definitely despicable, but he's not you know doing a lot of histrionic over the top acting no. or anything like that. Uh, he's he's no. actually he's actually a comp, he, he's actually an accomplished actor and he's doing a good job here. And it's yeah, he's just chilling with his two. Um... I don't know, like bodyguards, lady bodyguards, yeah. 
who are also wearing matching hot pants. And, <laughs> yes, uh, I know. Tops. I know. I wonder if Mr. Candeli, and... <laughs> Mr. Candeli was able to partake of any particular bonus features involved in the casting and, <laughs> and filming of this particular movie. And, yeah, he's just hanging out and teaching them about fruit. And, yes, uh, yes. Which I thought. Which, which I thought. That, that's a that's a the strangely handled sequence in the movie where yeah, where they're really they're discussing where they're just they're discussing fruit and it was just like what it feels like it feels like there's a missing scene somewhere yeah because suddenly anyway we'll get to that we're getting ahead of ourselves okay the other two cast members that, that really i think are the only ones worth mentioning well maybe a couple i'm, I'm wondering whether you have more familiarity with the spanish cast but a little bit um so Rage has to team up with uh, three people to go into the wastelands, and we'll talk about what his mission is in a minute. One of these people is a guy called Victor, played by Werner Pocath, Pocath yeah. who uh, was Austrian. Um, he looked really familiar to me, and I don't know whether that's maybe I've seen him in some westerns, because he's another one who like worked primarily between sort of Germany and um, Italy. Well, you might know him. He was in the uh, Spaghetti Western Vengeance, directed by Antonio Margheriti. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Um, yeah. Not a he, not a big role, but you you might remember him from it. Mm. But he's in he's in Cat of Nine Tales as well, of course. Exactly. He was in a number of uh, films that are pretty standard viewing for fans yeah. of of European exploitation stuff. Oh, and I think I've watched quite recently Iguana with the Tongue of Fire. So right, I was going to mention that one as well. Yeah. The uh, the an, another another uh, you know standout film that you might have seen him in is one that I, has become a little bit more well known in the past few years. Uh, apparently, it was kind of a, a standard thing to view on television in the uh, late seventies, early eighties, but uh, uh, really has only gotten a little bit of attention in the past few years. Is a film called Sky Riders. He plays oh, a yes. he plays a, a prominent terrorist in that. It's a James Coburn film, mm. and um, a, pr- a pretty good little movie. It's it's not great, but uh, he's right. his face is prominent in in that as one of the bad guys. Okay. He was also in Magnum Cop, by the way. <laughs> and he's in um, he did an Umberto Lenzi film as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so again, you know, solidly working. But then he died quite young, which is a shame. He was only under fifty when he died, I think. Um, oh wow, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. That that is a shame because he, he clearly was a a yeah, an in good. demand an in demand actor. I mean, mm. yeah. And then so um, he so he's as we've mentioned though his, his co uh, uh, companion whatever I can't think of the word I'm looking for buddy? one of his other companion his buddy. Uh, his potential love interest, although it's all very mainly very plutonic, um, is a character called Mara, and she is played by the Spanish actress Taida Urzola. Uh, no, Taida Urzola. Good, good job. I'm glad. I'm glad you tried that name rather than me. Thank you. So, Rod, I'm just assuming that because they're Spanish, you know all about them. Well, I don't know all about her, but I have seen her in a number of films. Uh, mm. She was uh, she had a role, uh, a small role in uh, one of the most devastating Paul Nashie films, the one that kind of bankrupted his production company called uh, Operation Mantis from 1985. So she had a small role in that. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm aware of her from that. Uh, and she also played a prostitute in El Caminante, The Traveler, uh, his 1979 film, which uh, 
which is honestly one of Nashi's best films, but she has a small role there. And uh, is I've that seen... one that you've done a commentary for? Uh, no, no, no. Did not did do, do a commentary one? for that no, one. No, no. Uh, Troy Howarth did a commentary for that one. Uh, yeah, Fa- yeah. Fantastic film. And mm-hmm. uh, like I say, she she has a small role in it. Um, highly recommended as far as as far as uh, Nashi films are concerned, especially the ones mm. that uh, people who want to stretch outside of just his uh, his horror yeah. his horror output. And the uh, the thing is, she was in a number of other films, some that have been on my radar to eventually catch up with, but I yep. just haven't managed to do it yet. There's one film that she, I mean, she has uh, what I assume is a small role, but I'm aware of this movie called Jaguar Jaguar Lives. Yeah, Christopher a, Lee. Yeah, exactly. Because, and that's that's kind of how I already knew about it, mm. uh, because it's apparently a karate film uh, yeah. that Christopher Lee has a role in, and, and so does Donald Pleasance. So it's one of those things where it's been on my radar to check out. Um, yeah. uh, just too. just out of curiosity, hell of an interesting cast: Barbara Bach. Yeah. Uh, Woody Strode, John Houston. It's like, oh, I've got to see this eventually. I just haven't gotten around to it. So she has a small role in that. Uh, mm. Certainly she would not be the main reason to go see Jaguar Lives. But yeah. Yeah, she was also, she was in Red Rings of Fear, which was the third film in the sort of unofficial Schoolgirls in Peril trilogy that yes. Massimo Delamano started and then he sadly died before that one was directed. So yeah, so she's... Uh, She's done a few things with you in Italy before, as well as the Spanish films. Are you familiar with Mystery on Monster Island? Uh, I am familiar with it. It's funny. I just recently, uh, our newest episode of the Nashi cast, uh, we were talking to a friend of ours, a man who um, uh, who also has a, a love of Paul Nashi, of course, or why would he be on the show? A man named John Kitley, who's uh, mm-hmm. written a, a really interesting book. He has a regular uh, column in Horrorhound magazine. And he's yeah. uh, we 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 discussed the fact that you as a Nashi fan you kind of have to surmount, surmount the mountain that is mystery on Monster Island eventually. But I right. I had to confess that I still not managed to make myself watch it Did because you? Nashi only has like a minute or two right at the uh, beginning right. of the film. And it's, am I dreaming this or didn't Severin just put this out? I wow! Did they? I don't. I don't Shh. think so. I mean, the thing is, it's oh. been readily available on DVD for a while. Yeah, I thought they did because um, it's Juan Piquer Simone, so it's right. You know, that from the director of um, Slugs and Pieces comes a children. I'm sure yeah. I heard, which, which is which is how you know it's a classic. But or am I getting it confused with Journey to the Center of the Earth? I think you may be getting it mixed up. Yes, because yeah. he, he, I am because he did Journey to the Center of the Earth as well, which I have seen, but this is different. This is not the same film yeah the, the thing is the thing about manhunt on mystery island is that it's the kind of it's the kind of thing where you read about it and you go holy crap terrence stamp yeah. peter cushing I and know. wait there's even a you know uh if, if you're a spanish horror fan you go blanca estrada frank brana mm. uh paul nashi i yeah. what wh- yeah and then you realize oh no no this is a movie built for small children and uh-huh. nashi's in it at the beginning and that is all and then you're going to start to feel your teeth rot from the sugar that it is that is wrapped around this. It's just, I need to watch it. I haven't done it yet. I've owned it okay. for almost two decades and still haven't watched it. <laughs> wow. It's, it's, you know, I, I, you know, 
I know I need to. I just I, I haven't uh, built up enough head of steam to to, to, yeah. to push my way through it yet. So well, what else is a podcast for, Rod? You got to get an episode out there on that one. It, but that's just it. If it, if it say say we cover it for the Nashi cast, what for two minutes, less than two minutes of Paul <laughs> Nashi at the very beginning of the films? Like I I don't see that being instructive. You could be an, a Nashi cast uh, bloody pit crossover episode maybe maybe so i mean <laughs> maybe eventually troy and i will just hunker down and and cover it just just so that we can well as, as john kitley put it in our in our episode of the nashi cast he says you got to cross it off the list man you just got to eventually cross it off the list yeah. and he's like yeah Good i guess point. you're right um so the other person that they're traveling into the wilderness with is uh, played by an actor called chris huerta love this actor yeah according to the imdb it says he started in peplums in italy and mm-hmm. went on doing typically fat dirty bad guys in spaghetti westerns which i'm sure he would have appreciated that description but that really that kind of sells him short a bit though he's oh, well, exactly. a lot of different kind yeah yeah and he's in lots of interesting films um but yeah he'd been working by the time he made this movie he'd already been making films for 25 years yes exactly and the thing is he's 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 one of those guys who uh, because of the the way he's built, uh, he, he he looks a little bit like a couple of other European actors that you might mm-hmm. you might think of, like Fernando Sancho. Uh, but he's he's diff- he, he's a different guy, and he's fun to see. What have you seen him in? Oh, um, I don't recognize him for anything. I'm looking through his list, and I'm not entirely sure that I've seen any of them. If I'm oh, honest. I've I've seen far too many but, of them. I, I I mean, he's he's been in a lot of films, right? But um, yeah, I I couldn't say that I've. Oh, wait, wait, I have seen him. I've seen Cemetery Without Crosses. Great movie. So yeah, yeah, there's one. <laughs> that might be the only one, apart from Rage. Well, uh, from from his early career, from the uh, from the seventies, he is he oh, is Django. He's in Django. He's in Django. This is Django true. Alert. Okay, that's two. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Uh, he's he's one of the he's one of the uh, few actors I know of who has played two different members of Robin Hood's Merry Men in different films. Uh, he was in uh, in 1970. He played um, Little John in the Magnificent Robin Hood, uh, and then in 1976. Uh, he got I don't know promoted demoted I which way you want to go where he got to play F- Friar Tuck in uh, another Robin Hood film um, Tarnation what was exactly the name of that one now I can't remember the story okay yeah it's 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 uh he he plays Friar Tuck in 1976 in a movie that uh, I guess I would have to translate the, the 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 title and what's terrible is I've seen it and I can't remember even what it. Um, <laughs> what its English title was, but um, um, Storia di Archieri, well, Story of Archery. Yeah, it's not particularly great. Puni e Occhineri, something about black glasses. Um, well, like Robin Hood, arrow beams and karate. Or black occhi e occhineri, isn't that black eyes? I know. Some, I, I'm yeah. I don't Live know. translation is not something I'm very good at. But it's a co- it's a comedy, right? But it's it's very it's it's a very strange it's a very strange one because. Friar Tuck brings along his uh, kung fu master friend, <laughs> so uh, you can Excellent. imagine uh, you can imagine both the, the desire the desire to see it and the knowledge that it is not going to be great. So yes, fair enough. Oh, but but I should should point out uh, the 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 real the real 
uh, way to see him in a, a very interesting role is a movie he made just a few years after this. He he is in uh, Howl of the Devil, the mm. Paul Nashie film that yep. uh, was almost impossible to see until uh, just uh, recently when Mondo Macabro put it out on Blu-ray. He he plays a, a character in that who uh, it's a, it's a very interesting character, very interestingly written, and he's very good in that. So. Um, that's his uh, that's his Nashy connection there. So yeah, okay. Well, I think that we've covered the cast in quite some detail there. So why don't we get into some sort of plot summary? Now I don't know whether people. This is a film that I was not really that familiar with, and I don't know whether many people would be. I don't know how much of the story to give away. But um, was this a film that you were already familiar with, Rod, or is this new to you as well? This was brand new to me, and it and it mm-hmm. does my heart good to know that there are still some 1980s post-apocalyptic <laughs> May, Italian films out there that yeah. I have not seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, uh, I mean, I, I wasn't I wasn't sure what to expect. I went in as blind as I could, and I have to say, had not seen this one before. Uh, yeah. Did, yeah, did enjoy it though. So yeah, I'm going to guess that there's plenty of people out there who won't have seen it either. There's a really good. I don't. Need, I haven't really done that much research to see if it's available on DVD or anything. But there's a very good copy on YouTube at the moment, which I have. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I also tweeted it out the other day if anybody wanted to watch that on on YouTube. But yeah, it's yeah, it's it's it is actually very good and not that well known. So maybe let's not give too much of it away. I'll just read you the beginning of the book uh, chapter on this film. Well, I say chapter, basically three paragraphs. They haven't got much to say about it. <laughs> 1980, so 1984, actor Conrad Nichols is not yet done with Disenchanted Tomorrows and Rude Awakenings. This book is very poetic. Um, a year after Rage, original title, Rush. So they're calling the other one Rage. Oh, I'm so confused. He dives headlong one more time into the broth of the apocalypse, reuniting with compatriot and director Anthony Richmond, a.k.a. Tonino Ricci, for a post-nuke western which would be released on VHS with a string of interchangeable titles, Rage, Rush 2, Rush 2, The Return of the Hero, or The War War Beast, apparently. The War Beast, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, then we get to the plot summary. Andalusia and Almeria are once again asked to pass for post-bomb America. And it is here that the handsome Conrad embarks on a hectic adventure in the middle of the wasteland, headed toward Alpha Base, where he's supposed to find the very last reserves of uranium. And then the rest of the summary sort of gives quite a lot of the ending away, which I don't really want to do. So... I think we'll just have to summarize the rest of it ourselves. But so the film starts with um, some kind of platoon led by Victor and Mara going through what's clear, what clearly looks to me like an abandoned set rather than an actual street. And there are um, mutated people or people that have got radiation sickness lurking in the shadows. But then also there is rage who is remarkably handsome and uncontaminated by radiation poisoning. <laughs> yes, yes, and clearly has access to a gem. Yeah, well, and and um, he's got a car that can drive through walls, and they're, they're, they're hunting him down for some reason, and, like, they are all got guns and they're all shooting, but then also they want to capture him alive because they need him. 
which isn't made very clear by the amount of bullets that they're pumping in t- this direction. <laughs> but it's, luckily, it's, it's it's very strange. It's that standard action movie thing of, you know, we need to, we need to capture this guy because we need him because he's he's unique yeah. in some particular way. Shoot directly at him. You know? Yeah. <laughs> what are you well, doing? Well, luckily, I think the um, all of the combatants in this film trained at the uh, Stormtrooper Academy because none of them can hit anything no they they they're 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 really really good at hitting uh walls as long as the walls are very very large and that's about it the number of bullets to the number of times somebody actually gets shot ratio in this film and i can't do the maths but i'd have to say it's not good it's roughly one to a thousand yes yeah (laughs) if this is really the post-apocalypse you'd think they'd be a bit more careful with their bullets certainly so um, there's this whole sort of shootout and a bunch of people get killed and Rage is driving around in a car and he like crushes people and yes. all kinds of stuff. I, I, love, I love that sequence where he rams into the wall and, and, and kills, the, kills those guys. It's like, how many? Yeah. They, they, later on when they're talking to him, he just offhandedly remarks that, you know, coming to get me, you know, you only, you only lost 20 or 30 people. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah that's that's kind of a high price to pay for anybody i know but then it turns out so they eventually capture him and they bundle him into their jeep and um he keeps giving he he keeps kind of giving mara the eye like he's trying to establish a bit of chemistry there and she just sort of rolls her eyes at him but they they head off across the wasteland um back to their base where he meets the guy in charge so it turns out that rage is a former what is he like captain of a platoon or something they're all basically military or ex-military and rage just didn't want to play ball anymore but they're all safe in some kind of bunker and he's just been outside and, and actually one of them says to him so how did you survive out there in the wasteland you know without getting horribly mutated and he says oh it's a long story that we're not even going to try to yeah. make up yes. and then we're all like yes and nothing nothing so <laughs> don't have time for that we've got other things to do yeah just saying it's a long story that's a really great get out for the script writer isn't it because yep. he's written himself into a bit of a corner it's fine it's a long story we haven't got time move on yes exactly so <laughs> heavy stress on move on yes so this is very similar to exterminators in the year 3000 this film that they've got a base in one place but the base is going to die out unless they can get the thing that's in another place that's basically the setup right yep and what they need is uranium because apparently that's what's powering their underground base now i should say the underground base that they're filming in is really cool like whatever it is they've had they've got access yeah whatever that location is yeah they've actually got access to a real underground concrete bunker or something that they're filming in uh which is quite fun but yeah so they need the uranium and they've picked up some radio signals from another base like what are they they're in alpha base and then there's alpha there's another base or something yeah i forget the names of the base but they've got to go to this other base where they've picked up this radio signal to get the uranium that's there to bring it back to power their base i think that's the gist of it but rage apparently not victor and mara and their whole gang of people 
Rage is the only man who can get them across there because he's so cool and because he looks so good in his tight, sleeveless, <laughs> high-neck shirt. Uh, but they've also got a tech guy, played by Chris Huerta, who is Omar, and he can specialise in tracking the uh, signal that they've picked up. So basically, despite the fact that we've just seen Rage be captured by a whole platoon, I know he did kill a few of them, but still. Now they've got to go on this desperate mission to save the whole base, they're just sending four people. I know. Why it, Why is it such a small team? Why are they not all going? Yeah. <laughs> well, because, I mean, the real reason is because it's a lot cheaper to film four people going in one Jeep than it is to try yes. and film a whole platoon. Precisely. The the movie. But, yeah, plot-wise, not, not quite such a good idea. So, um, yeah, that's it then. So they are off, and... Rage knows where he might be able to get a map. And so he takes them to another place that's like a kind of, uh, well, it's just another bar, base, I don't know. Yeah, it's like the cantina bar, but set in an old abandoned concrete factory, uh, probably either just outside Rome or actually somewhere in Almeria, but it's an abandoned factory that's littered with them. I quite like it was a good detail. They keep trying to remind us that we're in America because there are occasional abandoned American cars just knocking around. Just just, just, to, just to try to fool us. Yeah, what I like about this movie is that the um, these road warriors are not driving in souped-up Mad Max-type cars. Slash just drives around in a big brown Volvo. <laughs> <laughs> Like no one, no one across, stuck across any, the desert. Yes, they haven't stuck any spikes on anything. They're just riding like motocross bikes, and the motocross guys are wearing their just actual motocross clothing, which is all really brightly coloured and like bright red helmets. There's it's, very it's, little attempt yeah. to futurize it up. It, it, uh, it really is just. I mean, I I don't know if it, I'm sure it was primarily a budgetary reason for this but yeah it just really does look like well it's you know it's 30 years after the bomb fell or after this yeah. apocalypse or whatever the heck it is and yeah. it's and it become and, it, and it's a little bit more i i guess realistic to a degree uh, yeah. I, I guess in in the road warrior films and the various ripoffs thereof we're but we're supposed to uh intuit that these people you know have a lot of time on their hands and so they get really creative but <laughs> not in this movie so. no Oh, speaking of bombs, we forgot to mention. I forgot to mention that the opening of the film is is all stock footage of um, like starving people around the world intercut with and it's kind of a bombs. depressing way to start this thing. Yeah, it, I, it, I felt we were back in Godzilla nineteen seventy seven territory. Yeah, yeah. It's like, wait, do we really need to <laughs> to have the real the real world? Tr- horrors being thrust in our face like this at least it didn't go full luigi cozzi and just show us piles of burning bodies in the middle (laughs) like like he did with godzilla which yeah was it was a real downer um so yeah so he takes them off to this abandoned concrete factory to to meet slash who is another former army captain who um has a big slash down his face hence the name and he's living in this place where everyone is dancing to top-notch 80s disco. 
I'll put a clip in. I think the music is quite fun. I'm on right as well. Crazy? 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 But you've got all these guys just dancing about and Slash is sitting there like the king of all he surveys, surrounded by women in hot pants. And he just welcomes Rage like they're old friends. Um, I mean, how would you describe... Do you think there's a backstory between these two? Okay, I mean, the backstory between these two is... They've obviously got a, a contentious history. They've... They've known each other for a very long period of time, and they the last time they, they saw each other, they did not part on uh, amicable terms. But there's a grudging respect. Are we supposed to believe that Rage gave him that scar? Well, that was unclear. I mean, they don't... It's it's another one of those... It's another one of those details they decided to not... Re, I, I think the movie hints at it, or right. maybe, there oh, okay. is, maybe there's even a line of dialogue that points directly toward it, but I can't yeah. remember. Okay, yeah. But it, the, 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 the the contentious attitude between the two of them, the the, the relationships, obviously, uh, uh, you know, neither neither of them would care if the other dropped dead. But the uh, <laughs> the 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 danger in uh, effectuating that outcome on their own is probably a little more than they're willing to put forth because nobody, neither one of them seems to be sure who would come out on top. But they, uh, but Rage lays it all out very clear what they need, and they, I thought that they did a deal and it was all fine. Like they seem to have made an agreement with each other, and Slash yeah. is giving, 50, giving 50. them all a drink. Yeah, so they're all having a drink of whiskey, and then suddenly, in what is quite a bizarre moment, Slash, a couple of Slash's uh, guys, just come over and grab Mara and drag her off, basically to rape her on a table, and. Slash is just sitting there laughing. Rage jumps up and starts punching everybody because he's the hero of the film. Yep. Now, Victor, Mara's, um, well, presumably friend, I mean, certainly work colleague, <laughs> yeah, or, yes. um, you know, they're in the same platoon or whatever. He just sits there carrying on drinking his whiskey and doesn't try and intervene at all. Well, I have an explanation um, for this sequence for you. I've, I've oh, got you, this sequence figured out. Oh, go on then. We needed a fist fight. <laughs> oh, right. Fair enough. <laughs> That's exactly why yeah. this is happening. Because, I mean, Mara, is, she's quite handy herself. as She managed to fight all these guys off. Um, but I just, I was sitting there thinking, come on, Victor, you douche. Why are you just not even helping a little bit? Um, he didn't paint himself in a good light considering Victor is supposed to be one of the heroes for the rest of the movie and and Mara seems to be very quick to forgive him but you know it's not cool Victor, it's not cool well I got the thing is if you notice the the way this film and a lot of films of this type are structured, there often there is a fight so because we we need a fight we need a we need some action yeah. sequence of some sort to kind of goose this thing along and to make sure everybody's still awake and the uh the, this this is this to me smacked precisely of that because mm. the the there, I mean, there are a couple of other sequences like that in the movie too but this is the this one's the most obvious <laughs> so maybe that's why they decide to to wait until everyone's asleep 
and then they decide to steal the map and uh, run off, which is what they do. And um, Slash, when he uh, discovers what's happened, he's like shaking his fist at the air. I'll get you, Rage. And um, <laughs> Rage has infected me with his rage. I don't know why Rage and the guys didn't just slash all of Slash's tires, you know, before they left. If they didn't want to be followed, that's, that's a they, fair. That's a good point. Yeah, that could have that would that would have been quite an easy thing if they didn't want to kill everybody. Fair enough. These are the good guys. I mean, they could have killed everyone. They could have at least disabled their vehicles or something, because they drive off in their jeep, and they're driving across the desert. Well, they're either driving in the desert or through a quarry. There's a lot of quarry action in this film. Yeah, yeah. But, there's, 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 those are the two uh, exterior <laughs> locations they seem to but, have the most uh, access to. Yeah. Yeah. Either of which leave quite clear tire marks for Slash and his gang to follow. Yes. So. So then the next section of the film is basically a chase um, with Slash trying to catch up with Rage and Rage and Victor and Mara are crossing the desert and they meet another group of people who... Now, if this... Basically, if this was a Western, which it kind of is, then what they meet is a group of Native Americans who they have a... a they, they, they develop a mutual respect and they leave them some weapons yep. so that they will be their friends. But they're based. You could have easily just swapped those guys for, um, you know, for for the sort of typical Western Red Indian, and it would have been exactly the same. There was a bunch of guys on horses watching them from the tops of the hills, and uh, yeah, I thought that was very much a nod to the Western. That thing there, that bit there. Well, it is that that thing once again where most of these movies, if not all of them, are really just kind of spaghetti westerns dressed up in different clothing. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Uh, if this was a Western, what would they be? They wouldn't be going to get uranium. What would they? Well, unless it was a William Castle Western. Um, <laughs> but if, if if this was a Western, what, what would be the MacGuffin? What would they be trying to get, do you think? Oh, my goodness. It could be almost anything. It's usually going to be gold, though. It, it would be money of some, you know, some kind of uh, either gold or a map to some gold or, you know, who the, who the heck knows? Yeah. Could even be a rescue mission, you know? That's true. Um, yeah, may, maybe the map they've got is uh, yeah is a map to uh, hidden treasure that, that they found during the Civil War or something. The uh, one of the writers we should mention, uh, Jamie Cummins Gill, um, was one of the writers on A Fistful of Dollars. So there's some Western heritage. I know. I I, I, I noticed his name. And there was here. something familiar about it. And yeah. I, I thought I thought the reason I might know him is because he he was the writer of Danger Death Ray. But no no no, he did Fistful of Dollars <laughs> as well. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so, I mean, I don't want to go too much more because I think if you've never seen this, there's some quite interesting stuff, actually. They, 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 you know, they follow their bearings, they follow the map, they follow the radar. I'm not entirely sure why they needed a map and the radar, but anyway, they find the transmission. So then the question, first question is, are they going to find the uranium? What's going to happen when they get there? But that's not even the end of the movie, which surprised me actually they when they get to where they're looking for it's only you know like the end of the second act there's a whole action-packed final act which um can we should we mention is on a train there's a train i know i i I was i I have to say this one this one has a few things not many but it does have a few things that are very different from other post-apocalyptic films of the period and this whole sequence on the train first of all once again it's a western 
But the, yes. the, this is not something <laughs> that you see in your average post-apocalyptic film from this period at yeah. all. As a matter of fact, I can't think of another one that involves, I mean, other than the, the final sequence in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, I can't think of another one that involves a train. Mm. Was this pre-Thunderdome or oh, post-Thunderdome? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thunderdome came out in 85. Oh, okay. So this did it first. There yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it is really good. And there's some great stunt work. And, you know, put uh, you know, Tom Cruise thinks he's all that for being doing a film on top of a train. <laughs> These guys were risking their lives a long time before he was. And some of this stuff looks a little bit hair-raising, I thought. Um, there's also a great bit where a, one of the motorcyclists jumps his motorbike up onto the train, which um, yeah. is which is quite a risky stunt. I just saw that recently. I just watched the uh, Jackie Chan, Michelle Yeoh film, Supercop. And there's a sequence in there where Michelle Yeoh jumps a bike up onto the top of a train. And it's so it's at a moving train. It's really dangerous. Um, I mean, in this film, it's a stunt rider because he's got his helmet on. Whereas in Supercop, it's Michelle Yeoh actually doing it with no helmet on. Yeah, just uh, the clothing which, that she's wearing. Yeah, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> but yeah, so this film has got a lot to offer. So considering, I thought I have to confess that by the time we got to this film and the the last one we're going to do, that we're scraping the bottom of the barrel a bit here. And the and the filmmakers probably were too. The money was running out. It's the same old tired sets and locations and and blah blah blah. So uh, this film, I was pleasantly surprised at how really well made it actually is. I yeah. mean, sure, the the script is a bit goofy and a bit cheesy, but uh, you know that's fine. Um, but the action is really good. And I was surprised by that as well. The um, the the film the film works. It enter- it's very entertaining from beginning to end. The uh, the uh, the only the only like moment in the movie where I think well, other than the the, the odd little bit right there at the beginning with all the stock footage that really yeah. doesn't need to be there because it's, it no. really does not set the correct tone for what's coming no. after it. <laughs> uh, but there and there really is only uh, one sequence in the film that I thought was hilariously. poorly done and it's because of the choice of music there is this one scene the music usually fits the movie perfectly wonderfully no problems it's all there uh whether it's a particularly great score or not is you know up to individual tastes but there is one sequence in which uh, our heroes get attacked by uh, a, a a group of people and for that one scene when the music kicks in it is the most inappropriately cheesy 1970s television cop show music oh, yeah, yeah. I have ever I have ever heard right. in my life and it's just like da 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 it's one of those things that just immediately <laughs> makes you go okay this does not sound like this belongs to the rest of the score yeah. it it definitely does not fit this scene it is it turns it into a jaw-droppingly funny sequence Yeah, and of course, it's our old friend Stelvio Cipriani, who I'm sure we've talked about many times. And I know you've talked a little bit before about how some of these guys, when they turned into the 80s and started using synthesizers, you lost interest. 
but then in, sometimes, in, in, sometimes, sometimes actually, yeah. But then when you actually listen to some of them, sometimes it's quite good. Um, oh yeah, I'm not entirely sure whether this would fit that, <laughs> whether that would fit that category, or if this is just prime Cipriani '80s cheese. It, 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 like I say, for the, the majority of the film, it it works just fine. It doesn't particularly draw attention to itself, so it doesn't stand out as one that I'm, mm. you know, that that achingly seeking out to listen to on its own. But yeah. the that one sequence, it really does feel like it was written for something else and dropped in here. Yeah. I don't, you know, hey, it, it, which is perfectly possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave that there. I think we've uh, we've covered that in enough detail. So. If you haven't seen this film, um, do watch it. We haven't spoiled it. Uh, it's on YouTube. Definitely, definitely worth your time. I'd like to, we'll get finished here in a minute, but I just wanted to mention we've had some feedback. We always love getting feedback, so please do get in touch. Twitter and Instagram or email are all ways that you can get in touch with us. So we had a message actually just yesterday from one of our regular listeners, Mark Eggins. And he says, by the way, guys, I know you don't want to cover Jallo, but you could. Well, I don't know if I would. I, I wouldn't say so much. I don't want to. Just that I think other people have already done it. But he makes a good point here. He says you could look at a very specific subset, although Art Jallo has already been done by quite entertainingly by Kat Ellinger and Co. on uh, a co-host on Daughters of Darkness. But he says, what about? But is it a Jallo? A podcast series on titles that are arguably Jallo, but there is a lot of debate about or Jallo adjacent. I mean, there's there's nothing people love arguing about more than is it a Jallo or not. <laughs> it it is a, it's an argument I've never. I think I, I had a brief interest in that argument somewhere in the late '90s, and then realized <laughs> that I didn't give a damn. Uh, yeah. it's. I mean, I I certainly think it would be a good excuse to. Um, maybe come up with some films that would fit that category that are not ones we would otherwise cover but uh, but yeah is it a jallo or not i mean that is there is so much scope there i mean just off the top of your head rod can you think of any that might qualify oh my goodness what what's terrible is that i keep getting okay there was a there was this magic thing on the internet years ago i don't know if it still exists but it was a giallo title generator oh right uh, and uh, I remember spending so much time playing with that thing, just laughing myself to death, that right. now I have all of these fake titles stuck in my head, um, like traces of dark red on the cold metal table, you know, just things like that. Mm-hmm. So now I have trouble trying to trying to access the titles of actual films. Yeah, I know that, what you mean that may or may not be giallos but have those yeah. titles you know those titles you know that that involve uh you know either blood or a, a random animal you know the, yep. the the ocelot cries at midnight or something i don't i don't know like, <laughs> <laughs> i used to play around a lot on i used to get involved quite a lot about not more than 10 years ago probably on cult labs which was a forum for all things cult film but they would do a competition every week uh that was always sponsored by people like arrow or shameless and so on and i won loads of dvds and stuff over the years but one of the things they would do regularly was um was kind of photoshop competitions and so i was always making fake jallo blu-ray covers uh like puns like you said like like making up animal ones and right 
one can say, I've got a similar problem that I sometimes think of things and I think, oh no, that wasn't a real film. That was one I made. <laughs> That's one you made up. Well, it's like, uh, okay. I'll have, to, so I'll have you, to tweet some of those out. Well, you get into the questions of things like, okay, what what are the, 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 the requirements? What are the parameters of what is a giallo and isn't? So like, yeah. is, is Seven Deaths in a Cat's Eye a giallo? Even though it's not, you know, it's usually I think of giallos as being set in modern day. Uh And, uh, you know, Seven Deaths in the Cat's Eye is a period piece. So, but it's often referred to as a giallo. And it's like, I don't know, it really doesn't seem like one to me. I mean, kind of, sort of, I suppose. Yeah. And And it does have a gorilla. This is true. Um, And, you know, there are the weird weird ones that I think we'd have to categorize as as, uh, a giallo, but kind of go against the grain by having a single word title like torso. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it it crosses kind of into horror. Ter- well, it's it's kind of a horror movie in my opinion. I think Torso is more of a horror movie than a giallo, but it has giallo elements, you know, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, or films where the title says it's a giallo, but the film itself is not a giallo. Well, see, that's the that's the weird part. <laughs> is do you you know is Death Laid an Egg a giallo <laughs> yeah. or not? I mean, I would say not not at all. I mean, I don't know what that film is, but <laughs> it's, it's definitely not a something jalo. different. That's for sure. It's not a jalo. Yeah. Well, there you go. See, you've already got us started off there, Mark. So thank you. Yes, we'll think about that. Um, also, had some feedback uh, about a week ago that I just wanted to mention. Sean Baker got in touch. Um, who it's great to know, Sean, that you're listening, and um, he told us that he loves the pod. Well, I'll just instead of try- actually, look, I won't re re. Oh, let me start again. I won't just try and rephrase this in the third person. I'll just read it. It says, uh, hello, just wanted to let you know I love your podcast and I just listened to your commentary on the sex of angels. Thanks, Sean. And so then he's got a question, which I thought I would pose for you, Rod, and see what you think. Okay. says, I have a question for you. Is the film Top Sensation a ripoff of sex of angels? So many similarities. Now, I think we did talk about Top Sensation on the commentary, but I don't know if we got down to to really figuring out which is which i did check and sex of angels came out a year before top sensation so it's definitely that way around but what do you think it's difficult to know i mean yes the stories are similar the uh the the real difference is what's on the minds of the filmmakers in each case um i think what's going on in sex of angels is is very different from Kind of, the, 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 it's the ages of the characters. It's the ages of the the female leads that make Top Sensation have a very different kind of uh, feel for me. Right. Simil- I mean, the similarities are there. Don't get me wrong. Hmm. But I I never really thought of that one, you know that that one that Top Sensation was covering or co- copying or kind of taking from it. Uh, it because quite honestly, it's it's um it's not. A particularly unique setup it um the the i mean one one could argue that repulsion is i mean not repulsion i'm sorry but knife in the water roman polanski's film is mm. also a variation on a, that, that same kind of story while not you know while being by being very different from both of those films yeah. um the the idea of um whether it's a copy or not, it's like it's it's good. It may maybe a side by side, maybe a, a close watch of both films in yeah. you know, in in uh, would 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 
maybe pull out threads that seem to be closer than my memory uh, my memory of top sensation tells me it is i'm not sure sean does mention he says i saw so many similar images um so i think there are some 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 close uh comparison of textual comparisons you can make there yeah he does say i hope somebody puts out an hd version of top sensation soon you're right yes it's only on that shameless dvd i think well over here anyway and that's another film that deserves an upgrade i mean who wouldn't want to see that film in all of its hd uh potential well the cast (laughs) yeah the cast alone seems like it would be but uh, i think it's interesting you you make a good point there about the ages sex of angels is, is seems to be about teenagers right right basically Whereas Top Sensation, they're all more kind of late 20s. And then the older women sort of gang up on the younger woman who's naive and innocent. And there's a sort of a bit of, there's almost a generation gap just between them on the boat, I suppose. There's, there's another difference. But yeah, and, but yeah, you're right. Maybe all of this goes back to Knife in the Water anyway. Um, or maybe even further maybe there's something previous to that 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 i'm not even yeah not even thinking of but well like i mean sean also mentions that in terabang is very similar as well which he hasn't seen but he says i haven't i've never seen it but i'm downloading it now now when <laughs> when um when we were preparing to do sex of angels um i can't even remember how long ago that was but i also downloaded in terabang but didn't actually get around to watching it um, but that's, there are also some similarities, although I think that's more about a rich couple on a yacht who exploit somebody young. So there's yeah. another element yeah. of that as well. Once again, um, very, very, once again, a different different kind of thing. But yeah. yeah, I I mean I did reply to Sean to say maybe we should do a young rich people on yachts mini season. Maybe we could um, schedule that in for next summer. <laughs> I I would not be against it. No, maybe we could record it from our own yachts. Uh, yes, of course. I'll I'll have to decide which of my various yachts to choose. But yes, <laughs> well, I assume that's why you're buying your own place now, right? So you can have a marina. Is that uh, well? I do. Yeah, I do want a spacious. You've got a, you've got a, a backyard and, where I can yeah. park all of my various vehicles. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, well, thank you, Sean, again for getting in touch, and 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 also Mark and anyone. Uh, listening who wants to we do love to hear from you it's nice to know that the podcast isn't just going out into a big blank space that people are actually listening Um, so we we do love hearing from you Um, so next week next week next episode which is unlikely to be next week very Um, unlikely yes um, next episode will be our last one although that's another bit of feedback I should mention Oh, okay. um, so next I'll, I'll look it up and also talk at the same time so um, our next episode will be another film which I'm unfamiliar with called The Final Executioner and uh, I don't know if that's one that you've that you know and love actually no it is another uh, another one I first at first I did think that I had seen it but I'll be honest I don't think I have um, but I was going to mention, so that's our last one on the list, but we have a, a listener who's been kind of, you know, I don't want to say beg because that sounds, uh, that's the wrong phrase, but okay. he's been, he's been asking me several times now on Twitter, if we will do the film warrior of the lost world. 
Oh, okay, yeah. Which um, is again that's a 1983 one. I didn't. I don't think I mentioned actually. I failed to mention that uh, Man Called Rage was 1984. But anyway, Warrior of the Lost World um, is kind of Italian. Uh, it is Italian, but it's very American. In its and it's but it's got Donald Pleasance. I think it's part. It's another one passing itself off as American. Um, so I don't know. Maybe we could throw that one in. What I would like to do again at the end um, is well, where I mean, we rank. If, is if where you we do, rank want, if you do want to throw in an extra film, we could do Warriors of the Wasteland there at the yeah. end. I wouldn't wouldn't bother me. What I think we'll do. So we'll make our final proper episode, the final executioner. But then maybe we can do a, an episode where we rank all the films. But we could also just throw in on that episode what we think about Warrior of the Lost World. How about that? Uh, works for me. Now, okay. is this the same so, film I'm thinking of that ha- that's uh, also known as Warriors of the Wasteland? Uh, yes, I think oh, so. Wait a minute. No, Warriors of the Wasteland is another title for the New Barbarians. See, this oh, is no, the this problem. Is, this is invariably the problem. <laughs> yeah, no, this is Robert Ginty and Donald Pleasance. Oh well, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, that, so, that's that's the horrible. Yeah, Warrior of the Warriors of the Lost World, Robert Ginty, Donald Pleasance, yeah. Persis Cambata. Yeah. So yeah, so it's an it's an American director, but shot in Italy. And anyway, maybe. So okay, so Rich, if you're listening, we've just put it out, so it's official now. Um, <laughs> we have we will fit Warrior of the Lost World in as a bonus episode. Now, if I could be bothered to do a Patreon, that's the kind of thing we could stick on Patreon. But <laughs> I, I do the Patreon thing. You do that, yeah. But no. I'm, I, I don't think I'm ready to to go that to, to go there just yet. Uh, it's hard enough keeping up with what we're doing. So anyway, okay, we're going to stop there. Rambling on. This episode is approaching record-breaking length. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening, and do get in touch. As I keep saying. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, emails, all the links are in the show notes, or you can find them on our um, yeah on on anywhere you want to look. <laughs> I don't know. Or just stop someone in the street and say, "Hey, do you know how to get in touch with the Wild Wild Podcast?" And they'll tell you. Um, that's all I've got. Thank you, Rod, again for being here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back soon. Bye for now, everyone. Thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns.